0: Thanks for joining us today. My name is Amos. I'm one of the lead pastors here, and uh, I have a couple things before we get started. The first thing is July 4th is a Sunday. You remember, and that's going to be our first uh, t- 10 a.m. service where we combine the you know the two outside inside services into one. But we're going to do something a little bit different on that day as well. On July 4th, we're going to make it a prayer service. So a little bit different than a Sunday morning in some ways, though there will still be worship and uh, short teaching. We're not going to be live streaming that service because as part of the prayer time, we want to be able to invite uh, you guys to pray for each other, uh, to intercede for our country, the world, the state of things, uh, other churches, whatever God's putting on your heart. And so to make that feel safe for like all of you to participate, we're just going to turn off the live stream for July 4th. It'll be back the next week, whatever day that is, the 13th, 14th. No, 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 that's not 11th. Thank you. Uh, the, my math The math part of my brain doesn't work on Sunday mornings. It works a little better other days of the week. But anyway, uh, so that's that's one thing I wanted to make sure that you communicated. We have just realized how necessary it is to pray. Um, and we did a prayer series, uh, was that like a couple months ago, weeks ago? I don't know. Uh, but, but this is sort of the first step in application. Application from that prayer series, this July Fourth prayer service. So uh, the other thing, of course, is today is Father's Day. So I want to say, hey, dads, you're doing a good job. Keep going. And uh, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you guys if your dad just to stand up here a second. Sorry. Uh, We want to admire how handsome you are. And. uh, Stay standing, we just want to, I'm just going to offer a prayer and then we'll transition to the teaching, okay? So if you're near a dad, put a hand on his shoulder. Uh, If you know this person, (laughs) uh, that's preferred, or reach out a hand. So God, this morning we ask that you would bless the dads in our life, Uh, whether we're, you know, still raising young kids uh, or just looking back on our own fathers, we ask that you would bless them knowing that none of us is perfect, but knowing that uh, you love us and you give us strength. And so just infuse us with your spirit and help us to love like you do uh, as a perfect father. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Okay, so... We're continuing our Leviticus series today, and this is where it gets good. I'm sure that when we announced the Leviticus series, you were wondering when are we going to study Leviticus 11 to 15 and talk about dietary laws, and talk about skin diseases, and talk about bodily discharges. Today is the day. That's why good. And then afterward, there's a barbecue, so like it'll really like get your appetite. Uh, ready. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I warned the slide person that we're going to be all over the place today. There's not actually a slide for Matthew chapter 5, but it's very close to that Matthew chapter 8 slide. So it's page 1001. If you have a Bible that looks like mine or uh, there's Bibles on both sides backed by the giving baskets and the hard copies have the same page numbers as these leathery-ish uh, copies. So Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, grab a Bible, uh, we're just trying to like model the open book idea here at the vineyard. And I see that it's, it's like starting to happen. So that's really cool. Also, I'm not putting the words up on the screen anymore. So like, if you want to read along, I'm kind of forcing the issues. So, okay. Last summer, we did a whole series on the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember this? Uh, I brought a pig one time, and we we looked at this passage, Matthew 5, verse 17, on page 1,003. Did I say 1,001? Again, my math. You know, the number that comes after 1,002 turns out to be 1,003. Uh, So so I just, I want to read Matthew 5, verse 17. And of course, this is applying to everything we've looked at in Leviticus and everything we will look at today. And it just... It adds, in my mind, a little bit of intrigue, and it raises a question of like, what do we do with this weird stuff that we find sometimes in the Old Testament, but in the book of Leviticus specifically? So Matthew 5, verse 17, don't misunderstand why I have come. And these are Jesus' words. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. The law of Moses is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The prophets is most of the rest of the Old Testament. I did not come to abolish them. No, I came to accomplish their purpose or to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven." But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious laws and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And as you'll see as we read, this makes bacon and the consumption of bacon a real problem. (laughs) And after this uh, service, we'll be eating pork at the barbecue. But there's this little passage in Leviticus that says, don't eat pig. So what does it mean to follow these laws according to their purpose better than the Pharisees? That's one of the questions. Uh, And then the other things that we'll kind of see as we go along is that as you read these passages, it adds context to uh, stories about Jesus in the New Testament. And I, I guess... To start, I'm going to give you guys an option. So, if you look at Leviticus 11 to 15, uh, it breaks down into a couple of different categories, and I'm going to ask you to vote on which passage you want to read, okay? Leviticus 11 is dietary laws, 11 to 14 is skin diseases, as well as household mold, and Leviticus 15 is bodily discharge. So, I want you to vote for... Dietary laws, skin diseases, or bodily discharge. So who wants dietary laws? Raise your hand. That is, I don't know that anybody can beat out that. Uh, who, anybody, skin diseases? Couple? Okay, a, few, a little less. Bodily discharge. <laughs> well, uh, dietary laws it is. Leviticus 11. So th- we'll hear about bacon in this, okay. So, eleven verse one, page one one four. We'll we'll glance over the other passages as well. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Of all the land animals, these are the ones you may use for food. You may eat any animal that has completely split hooves and chews the cud. You may not, however, eat the following animals that have split hooves or that chew the cud, but not both. The camel chews the cud, but does not have a split hoof, so it is ceremonially unclean for you. The hyrax chews the cud, but does not have a split hoof, so it is unclean. The hare chews the cud like a rabbit, uh, but does not have a split hoof, so it is unclean. The pig has evenly split hooves, but does not chew the cud, so it is unclean. You may eat the meat of these animals. You may not eat the meat of these animals, or even touch their carcasses. They are ceremonially unclean for you. Of all the marine animals, these are the ones you may use for food. You may eat anything from the water if it has both fins and scales, whether taken from salt water or from streams. But you must never eat animals from the sea or from rivers that do not have fins and scales. They are detestable to you. This applies to little creatures that live in the shallow water and to all creatures that live in deep water. They will always be detestable to you. You must never eat their meat or even touch their dead bodies. Any marine animal that does not have both fins and scales is detestable to you. These are the birds that are detestable to you. Want me to keep going? You must never eat them. The griffin vulture, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of all kinds, ravens of all kinds, the eagle, owl, the short-eared owl, the seagulls, hawks of all kinds, the little owl, the coromant, the great owl, the barn owl, the desert owl, the Egyptian vulture, the storks, herons of all kinds. (laughs) I don't know what that is. the The hoopoe the hoopoe, and the bat, which is not a bird. (laughs) You must not eat winged insects that walk along the ground. They are detestable to you. You may, however, eat winged insects that walk along the ground and have jointed legs so they can jump. Oh, hugh. The insects you are permitted to eat include all kinds of locusts, bald locusts, crickets, and grasshoppers. You know, my brother got into grasshoppers for a while. He raised them in his garage and would eat them, uh, not alive, but dried-out grasshoppers. That didn't last super long. That was a very short stint. Apparently, they're very high in protein. (laughs) Um, Anyway. All other winged insects that walk along the ground are detestable to you. The The following creatures will make you ceremonially unclean. If any of you touch their carcasses, you will be defiled until evening. If you pick up their carcasses, sorry, you must wash your clothes or you will remain defiled until evening. Okay, so like if you happen to touch a dead animal, it's wash your hands, yeah. You want me to keep going? I think, I think we're probably good. You get you get the idea. And the the detail here is in some ways laughable, but if we read it in light of Matthew 15 and Jesus says nothing of this Actually gets taken out at last, and you must fulfill its purpose. You're thinking, what does that mean, and how could we do this? Uh, purification after childbirth goes into the same kind of detail. Serious skin diseases. If we were going to read that, I was just going to tell you to turn your imagination off. Uh, and bodily fluids uh, seem to be like STD type stuff. So like it, it goes on and on and on, and it it keeps using these words, clean and unclean, which. You, you must understand is not the same thing as sinful or wrong, right? There's nothing wrong or sinful about childbirth. Unclean just means, like, it's, it's uh, designed to, like, have a little separation after childbirth. Could be, in fact, even, like, a merciful thing to give mothers some time and space after the childbirth. So there's different ways to kind of understand unclean and clean. Never designed, though, to be... Uh, Equated with sin or shame, although what you see is religious humans, self-righteous humans tend to use the words of God to create separation between people and to create hierarchies between the holy and the not holy, whatever, Uh, those sinners over there, right? That's not how Jesus operates, though, as we'll see. So, uh, before we jump ahead, let me ask you in the room, how many of you have ever been camping for a weekend? Okay, how many of you have ever gotten poison ivy? How many of you have gotten poison ivy while camping? A smaller majority, but pretty much everybody in the room has been camping, and pretty much everyone in the room has gotten poison ivy. I have gotten poison ivy, the worst poison ivy ever, while camping. And so if you can imagine yourself on one of these camping trips, let's say that you're two hours from the closest Wawa, which means you're probably three hours from the closest giant. So you're gonna have to pack in all your food and you've got a baby and let's just say three other kids between the ages of baby and seven. You might be thinking, Why? what are they thinking? <laughs> like, so you have to pack in all your food. You got a baby. You're bringing diapers. You're bringing toys, uh, and and you're in the woods. And there's there's poison ivy over here, right? You, you're starting to uncamp your tent, and there's there's poison ivy, and you're trying to keep the kids separate. And now the now the kid has a soiled diaper, but you don't want the soiled diaper to get in the same space as the kids. So you're trying to keep the you know the the diapers. Here's a great example of something that would be ceremonially unclean, right? You got to get that in some kind of plastic bag so that the kids don't end up in it and the, the raccoons don't end up in it. And you, you got to keep the food in the van so that the birds don't carry it away. And, and you're just trying to keep everything spaced out. Now, imagine if you were on a camping trip, not for a weekend, but for 40 years. Something that's going on here in Leviticus that includes like a spiritual dimension is partly just good camping protocols. So when you read about skin diseases, skin diseases are typically uh, contagious. And so to say, if you have a skin disease, we're gonna say you're unclean and you need to like stay away from other people so that you don't end up giving this contagious skin disease to your family to your friends, to their friends. And before you know it, it's in the whole camp. And what's, what's amazing, I think, if you look at it through this frame, is in Leviticus, it's actually got these steps in order to re-enter the camp. So in neighboring nations, they would say, oh, you have a skin disease, you're cursed by God, get away. In Leviticus, there's the sanitary reasons to get away uh, you know, don't take this into the camp. Don't take this into the temple either. Because that, like poopy diapers and, and temple, like something doesn't just jive with, with that. Those categories don't necessarily go together, especially in the mind of someone living 3,000 years ago. Now what, not what you find is when God comes to earth, he comes as a baby in the person of Jesus and you get this amazing coming together of what was considered unclean is now something that God embodies and steps into. But that would be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Something that goes on here, I think, is that many of these commands were meant for a people who had just been led out of Egypt and are essentially camping tent next to tent next to tent in the wilderness. And so trying to apply wilderness codes to even living a thousand years later during the time of Jesus might be the wrong reading of what they mean or what their purpose would be. And there's different, like there's actually no real consensus when you look at the scholars, like why does the pig get thrown in with unclean animals and why can you eat cows and sheep and goats, but not camels and horses. And, you know, that, that cud, chew the cud and cloven hook thing doesn't necessarily line up. In general, there's some health potential. Uh, there's uh, explanations that could point to health. Like uh, at the time, you know, pigs maybe were carriers of diseases more so than others. And maybe symbolically, you look at a pig who just kind of sits in its own filth. And so, again, if you're looking at this through the lens of an ancient Near Eastern person, we often separate our symbols and what what they kind of inhabit. So like when we take typically communion, we say, you know, this is the body and blood of Christ, but we don't think in Protestant churches, at least, that that kind of changes into the actual body and blood of Christ. We just say it's It's bread and wine, and we're remembering Jesus' body and blood, right? But for them, those things get put together. So they look at a pig, and they think, oh, that's a symbol of something that I should not eat or consume because we shouldn't be like pigs who symbolically, literally and symbolically, sit in their own filth, uh, who don't, like, have good hygiene, who don't... um, you know, take care of their stuff physically, but then metaphorically, like, taking care of your life so that you don't just end up neck deep in your own, metaphorically speaking, (laughs) junk. So you see this, for instance, in all the birds that are mentioned. Um, The birds that you're not supposed to eat are the birds that eat carcasses, the falcon, the vulture, the crow, all those birds are going into a space that is defined by death. And in Leviticus, in the wilderness in particular, where life and death are this far apart, you want to make clear to your people that you embrace and affirm life. You find this over and over in Leviticus 11.15. We affirm life, not death. Choose life not death. And by eating a bird that survives on consuming literally what has died sends a signal symbolically to people like choose life, affirm life, not death. Don't make decisions that would cause you to die really, like physically or spiritually die. So there's there's all these kind of like interwoven ways to understand what's going on here in some very dense, very confusing and in some ways uh, in some ways these don't apply to us and otherwise like oh yeah, this makes a lot of sense that we need to bring into our everyday a reminder that God is holy and we're living for him. So I don't know about you, but I eat every day. <laughs> Uh, everybody here eat every day. So to start with, dietary laws brings God's purposes into their everyday. Every meal, they're thinking about God and about how God wants to order their lives, which ultimately means eventually that we can kind of eat whatever we want, but at the time trains the people into this way of being. So like, if you think about, uh, if you raise children, um, you probably have some knives in your drawer. Am I right? To start out, you just say, no, can't touch it. Can't touch the knife. In fact, most kids, right? Start with a spoon and then they graduate to a fork. And then someday It turns from, no, you can't use the knife, don't touch the knife, to let me show you how to use this knife. So again, we're just kind of like going in layers here and how to understand some difficult passages. But in terms of God leading a people out of slavery to survive in the wilderness for 40 years, to understand some spiritual truths that are a little bit abstract, bringing them into a way that they can understand You start with don't touch, keep separation. This is dangerous. And eventually, by the time of Jesus, here is how you fulfill the law. So jump with me now to Acts chapter 10 in your Bibles, page 1149. Here's here's where we find out what has in some ways gone wrong, and what God's, uh, how God has been misunderstood in the commands he gave in Leviticus. So there's a character here named Cornelius, and what you need to know, he's a Gentile, which basically means non-Jew. For the Jewish, from a Jewish perspective, like, he's not us. He doesn't celebrate our festivals, he doesn't eat our kinds of food, uh, he doesn't go through our rhythms and ways of life, ethically or, or ritually or otherwise. Uh, but Cornelius, we know, is someone who loves God and who loves the poor. That's where it starts in chapter 10. But in verse 9, it says, uh, "...the next day Cornelius's messengers were nearing the town, and Peter went up on a flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry." But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And I have to believe he, he was napping, and this was one of those visions, but I don't know. Who knows? I, I think whoever was writing this was giving Peter the benefit of the doubt here. So he's hungry. It's the middle of the day, and he's in a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. And then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. And Peter declares, no, Lord, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up into heaven. You can think of this like the giant picnic basket. It comes down and goes back up. Now, Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Now, it seems like this voice was pretty clear, uh, but it But he also has a sense that this is about more than just food. Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up and go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. And in this process, Peter seems to have this aha moment because he sees the dream and then he meets these Gentile messengers. So just jump down to verse 28. Peter Peter told them, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to even associate with you, but God has shown me that I can no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean, so I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now, does anybody know which passage in the Bible it says that Gentiles are unclean and Jewish people shouldn't associate with Gentile people? It's not in there. It's not part of the Jewish law. It's not in Leviticus. It's not in Exodus or Deuteronomy or anywhere. This is an example where the humans, in their religiosity and their desire to create a a righteous ladder, said to an entire group of people, pretty much anyone who's not us is unclean. Sinful, detestable, shameful. Again, not the intention of Leviticus. They took these commands about what to eat and not eat, and they applied them to people and caused division. And God says to Peter, you guys have gotten it all wrong. Like, I created everybody clean. I want everybody in my camp, in my tent. I want to be... Present to every human person, and you you drew this line and made it an us and a them, and I'm telling you, that's not the way I see humans. So you stop treating humans that way, and so they eat, which is again symbolically just this incredible um, coming together, and the, and they start to include Gentiles, non-Jewish people, in the in the um, Christian family and they're following Jesus together. So that adds a little bit of nuance, but you see Jesus uh, acting this out in all kinds of ways that, again, point us to what God intends and the purpose. So there's there's a passage in Mark, and you don't necessarily have to go there, but it's Mark 2, where Jesus says to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Uh, other translations say the Sabbath was made for man, meaning humans, uh, and not, Sabbath, or not uh, people for Sabbath. That'd be like saying, uh, Jesus saying, uh, bacon was made for humans, not humans for bacon. In other words, the, these laws were actually designed for your benefit, and maybe the bacon thing applied when you're in the wilderness because... Pig meat or pigs are symbolically problematic, but also uh, because they carry disease, a bad idea to eat while you're in the wilderness and like stacked up one tent on top of the other. God created, in this case, Sabbath, the idea of rest, so that people could live whole lives, so that they could learn to trust God and not trust their own, you know, seven days a week, 50 hours. 60-hour, 70-hour work week to provide for their needs. God is saying, I I made this for you. It was meant as a gift. Bacon, it's a gift to dads. In particular, it seems, right? I mean, what's manlier than bacon? I don't know. I mean, that's using some funny, some funny, uh, that's a funny lens, I guess, to look through it. But anyway, The idea that these laws got misinterpreted, misapplied, and misunderstood to be this legalistic code where you were judged and excluded rather than cared for, rather than being viewed through the lens of like, here's how you actually re-engage in community. Here's how you stay healthy and safe. And I'm going to actually teach you some principles here that don't have anything to do with what you eat and don't eat, have everything to do with how you're going to like live your life and show people that you're you're like part of the family of God and distinct in your behaviors and how you treat people and how you love people. So that passage in Matthew 5, let's flip back over, and that's like page 100, and, or 1,000 and, not three, 1,007 this is the first thing Jesus does after his Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, I have not come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it. In Leviticus, it says, don't touch anybody with a skin disease. For instance, leprosy. So in Matthew chapter 8 it says large crowds followed Jesus this is verse 1 as he came down the mountainside suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him lord the man said if you are willing you can heal me and make me clean and Jesus reached out and touched him i am willing he said be healed and instantly the leprosy disappeared then Jesus said to him this is interesting right because this is he's in some ways it seems disobeying the letter of the law and touching the man, but then when it comes to re-entry into the community, to symbolically say, yes, you're, you're back. He says in verse uh, 4, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you, which is part of what you read in Leviticus. It's either uh, 14 or 15. Take along the offering requ- required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy, This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. And so to live the law as it was purposed, as Jesus fulfills it, is not to be a better Pharisee. I said this a year ago. To surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees does not mean be more of a Pharisee. Do not be more legalistic with the law. Do not create more laws that you need to follow. The fulfillment of the law is, is to love people and what jesus does by touching this person with leprosy is an act of love an act of healing an act of dignity and so if you want to you want to listen to jesus you don't stop eating bacon you start loving people and feeding them bacon if that's what they want Of, of course, there's a, there's a wrinkle here because none of us can actually even love people perfectly. None of us can live a perfectly ethical life. And so this, this happens in Leviticus. It keeps saying, like, do, do all this so that you can be holy. But then it says, but I am the Lord who makes you holy. And how does that work exactly? Well, we find out in the person of Jesus by his perfect example, but then by his perfect sacrifice, his death, that makes us clean. You see, when it comes to God's action, it is when He touches people, when He shows up, when He dies, that cleansing actually emanates from the center. The way that it works without God is, if an unclean person touches an unclean person, then that person's unclean too, and the next person's unclean, and it just kind of gets worse and worse and it cascades. But when God comes into the mix, it's not that the uncleanness makes him unclean. It's that his perfect holiness transfers into the person that he meets if they would just open up their lives to it. And that's, that's what's going on here. The fulfillment of all these strange laws in Leviticus 11-15 to, 11 to 15, are designed actually to love people, to heal people, to make them whole, to help them, like camping in the wilderness. And since we're not camping, you know, don't keep keep your eyes open for poison ivy because it's in my neighborhood too. But uh, the idea of like coming to people's aid and encouraging people and befriending people and being in like committed friendships with people, where you don't only do what's convenient, but sometimes you do what's sacrificial because that's what they need and that's what they're looking for. And that's how Jesus is. Again, ultimately shown in his willingness to die for his enemies. People who like, yelled, crucify him, crucify him. He goes to the cross and says, Father, forgive them. That's how the law gets perfectly fulfilled. And so you see how this, this love of God to love like Jesus spreads out into what seems like these places that you wouldn't necessarily think God is present, like eating a meal or going to the doctor or cleaning your room. Um, which, by the way, again, you think about it in terms of getting the, like the little details of life right. When you, if you were to join the military, they would first they'd give you a uniform, right? And if you said, "No, nah, I kind of would just want, like to wear jeans on Friday," they'd be like, "Nope, this is your uniform, <laughs> right? This is the, this is the this is how you're going to do it." And then they're going to teach you how to make your bed, right? And you're like, "I know, I made my bed. I was five years old. Mom, Dad taught me how to make my bed." No, this is how you make your bed and the the details of life emanate out into all of life the 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 idea that to like really love like Jesus you look at the little things the little ways that you interact with people ordering your coffee m- making breakfast at your work meeting at your family meeting like the the idea that everything is spiritual and there's nothing in existence where God doesn't say, I'm here, I'm present. I have design and purpose for every part of your life. And so Brother Lawrence uh, is maybe a name you've heard, but he's he lived several hundred years ago. And he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And this is one of his more famous quotes, but he says this about The the spiritual life. He says, The time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in all the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, does this anybody's house? Does this sound? I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were on my knees in prayer, right? And it is not necessary to have great things to do. I turn my little omelet in the pan for the love of God. And Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill it. And you fulfill it, not by becoming a better Pharisee, but by becoming more like Jesus in the way he loves and sacrifices for people. So, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this space. We think of church as a place where you will come. But we also invite you into the space of the barbecue. And so, bless that food, but bless the interactions we have with each other as well. Come into the space of our afternoon golf outing. Remind us that you are present on, at Monday's meeting and Tuesday's lunch and Wednesday's laundry, and Thursday's doctor's appointment, that you are with us, that you are present, and that you have design and purpose for us in all of those spaces. So come, Holy Spirit, and meet us, and strengthen us, and fill us, and show us as we like. will now lift our voices to sing to you, in a in like a really explicit act of worship, but help that worship like just spread into our every moment. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.